0: Let me get a show of hands. How many here serve in a ministry here at Regeneration? How many look at our website? How many go there once a week or maybe once a month? And sometimes we ask for some assistance. Does anybody ever respond to that assistance? have a show of hands? All right. I'm going to be talking a little bit about service this morning. Before I get started, I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about myself a little bit. I know it's Albert's intent to give the elders these opportunities to speak so you can get to know us a little bit better as we share our personal experiences in our Christian walk. I picked the topic of service because service and serving others are a very important part of who I am. Some of you know that I retired from the military about 15 years ago. And I'll tell you, for you young people out in the audience time goes by very quickly you know when i look back and as i was preparing this i can't believe that it was fifteen years ago i retired from the military i had a career in the military i served for nearly eighteen years after i graduated from college prior to that while i was completing my college studies i served a youth organization in unpaid positions including being their editor of a statewide newspaper for about five years and i did that while I was working full-time and carrying a full load of studies. So again, it's just part of my nature. I can be working, but I've got to be doing something else. My earliest recollection of service was at the age of 9 or 10. On one hot summer afternoon back in Wisconsin, and they do get hot and humid, I got the bright idea to mow the lawn with an old hand mower. Probably most people in this room don't even know what a hand mower looks like to cut the grass. But my dad kept it in the back of an elevated storage area of the garage. So there I was. I maneuvered my way past all these garden tools, baskets, barrels, other tools that he had in there, and I lifted this mower, which felt like it was probably three fourths of my weight. You know, I must have weighed 80 or 90 pounds at the time, and this thing weighed a ton. But. I avoided breaking things or knocking things over onto the floor of the garage because this was an elevated platform and it was about six feet above the floor of the garage. Then I finally got it to the door and I had to call my sister over, my little sister, to help me lower this thing another three feet to the ground so I could start pushing this thing and cutting the grass. To make a long story short, my dad came home from work to see a checkered mosaic of long and short zigzagging lines of grass. Well, my dad was a truck driver with a ninth grade education, so some of you can imagine how he responded. Yeah, I was punished and publicly humiliated, and there was not a neighbor on the block who didn't hear my fate or a relative later in the week not hearing about my foolishness. But anyway, not to be deterred, I'm here 45 years later working for a nonprofit. I work for Goodwill Industries, managing what else but service contracts and to make life interesting i employ people with long-term disabilities so they can have an opportunity to do things that we probably take for granted so anyway while i found tremendous satisfaction and spiritual contentment in all my endeavors doesn't it seem fitting that i now serve the church and i'm enjoying that part let's pray Father, we ask that you open our hearts this morning to your word, that we may touch something inside of us that will first call us and then that we respond to your call in service to the church and especially to the community of Oakland. In Jesus' name we pray. Christians maintain a fundamental belief in knowing God is at work in our world. In a recent men's and women's Bible study, about experiencing God, of which I was a participant, we learned it is God who takes the initiative to come to us, and he reveals what he is doing and what he is about to do. It's an invitation to join him in his work. Each week we learned how to recognize where God was working in the community, each lesson intending to motivate us to join him in his work. Not surprising to any Christian, the weekly studies discussed how important the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of faith played in our ability to experience God. What resonated with me, as you can imagine from my brief personal testimony, was the power of service. The study revealed obedience to be the final reality in which we come to know God. Experience God and obey God so he accomplishes his work through us. And how is his work accomplished? Simply put, through service. You have to serve. You have to respond to the Holy Spirit's call. Step out in faith and serve. That power of service is what I will focus on this morning. Achieving it doesn't come easily. It takes some hard work, as you will see Scripture demonstrate. I will make the case that God's might and power can only be demonstrated to the world by those who serve him. We see the results of his power when friends and neighbors come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A criminal or loved one repents of sin, or we witness a miracle which extends a stranger's life or a relative's life through prayer. Are there any Seinfeld fans in the audience? My wife and I love that show. I don't know how many times we've seen them, and we laugh every time. Who remembers the episode when Jerry convinces George that if everything he did resulted in a bad or negative experience, George should do just the opposite of his first reaction? Does anybody recall that? Through the entire episode, George did just that. And as a result, he started dating a beautiful girl who loved bald men. He got up and shouted down three, I'll call them hooligans, in the movie theater He ordered different foods. He was always used to ordering the same food, so he started ordering different foods because of his new lifestyle. But most of all, while interviewing with the Yankees, he boldly told George Steinbrenner how much he had screwed up the beloved Yankees and then got the job. Boy, if only power like that could be so easily acquired. But that's worldly power. Let's see how the apostles achieved God's power. To do so, we will return to the early days of the church. And I'll ask you, if you open your Bibles, I'm going to start in Luke, but put your finger starting at chapter 3 in Acts, because we'll probably spend most of the morning in chapters 3 through 8 of Acts. In his account, Luke narrates the strange dominance of Peter and John in the early stages of the book of Acts. Their selfless service to the early church demonstrates for us one power in the name of Jesus secondly power from being filled with the holy spirit three power in reputation and lastly power in ministry a simple act of service in obedience to the lord emerges in each of these okay so now turn now to Luke 22 verses 7 through 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go, and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Some of you probably know that it was Jewish practice two days before the feast to go through the house with brooms and brushes and make sure that the occupants rid the house of all leaven. I was in Israel during Passover. And I'll tell you, that was trauma for me because of what my breakfast routine was like. There was no leaven served for about three days. But this preparation had to be done before sundown as the day began in the Jewish tradition at 6 o'clock in the evening. But let me first talk about the several references of faith beginning in verse 11. The teacher says to you indicates the faith of the master of the house, but more importantly, Peter and John tell the master exactly what Jesus told them. Unknowingly, The apostles are carrying a secret task as Jesus would not have risked Judas betraying him before Jesus could speak one final time to his disciples. Peter and John went, not knowing where they were going nor whom they should follow. They just followed Jesus' instruction. Then when arriving at the house, they had to rely on the master of the house to reveal to them a room. Also, we don't know if it was a friend's house Or a public house, but Peter and John found their guide, the man carrying the pitcher, the house and the room, just as Jesus had said. Their obedience showed their dependence on Christ to follow his every word step by step. But note the references to service in this passage. In verse 10, a man carrying a pitcher was an unusual sight, because carrying a pitcher was typically a woman's work. And men carried liquids in animal skin containers at the time. This would have been a distinctive sign to the disciples, so they knew who to follow. And men pay heed, all right, a man doing woman's work, obviously serving or helping a very important lady in his life. Married men will tell you, as I will, how we've been rewarded or merely loved more by the woman in our life when we help out with housework. Our ritual in the morning is I get up and I make breakfast. Kathy gets a breakfast every morning before she goes to work, and that's how we start our day. In turn, I come home later, and supper is ready for me when I come home. So there's a give and take there. Bachelors should particularly take note. Little acts of service will be seen and appreciated by young ladies looking. For the right guy. Now, who gave me that advice? I wonder. (laughs) But I digress. In this passage, Peter and John are sent by Jesus to perform a very menial task. All right, they go as instructed and they prepare the room where the Last Supper is held, very likely in a very traditional and ritualistic manner. One would think the disciples would have had this work done by members of their following. After all, they were disciples followers of Jesus Christ. That didn't happen, though. They did the menial work that had to be done. Okay, let's move now to Acts. Go to chapter 3, but I'm just going to refer briefly here in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1-6, when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel?' The disciples lamely asked the resurrected Jesus in today's language, this is all about our own hood, isn't it? But Jesus replies in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. All right, according to Acts 1.8, which is the obvious programmatic verse for the book of Acts, Jesus says, no, we're taking this baby to the ends of the earth. So now let's see how Peter and John received the power to do that. Acts 3, verses 1 through 7. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, and they laid daily at the gate, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who, the lame man, seeing Peter and John about to go into that temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Peter and John went up together to the temple, continuing to obediently follow Jewish tradition of the hour of prayer, which very much as Jesus probably had done and taught them to do. They were about to pray because, as good Christians know, prayer guides and strengthens, reminding us that we dare not venture into any work for God without praying first. Prayer remains one of the greatest outlets of spiritual power. But Peter and John encounter the lame man. They probably saw him hundreds of times going into the temple. This lame man, not unlike the people I employ, not unlike people living near regeneration, wanted to be supported in the condition that he was in. God, on the other hand, at that moment, revealed to these disciples what he was doing, and that was to completely change the lame man's condition. Peter and John obeyed, transforming the lame man's life by the power of the risen Jesus Christ. Many of us have not yet come to a place where we really expect something from God. Personally, I have to force myself to ask God for assistance at work every day. Like most of you, I go about my business, managing people, resources, or doing whatever task I have to get accomplished for the day, but I dutifully follow the secular policies and procedures that make that agency operate. But then things happen at the most inconvenient times and there's only one place to turn. We go to him because we expect the right things from God. The scripture also reveals Peter didn't have money, but what he did have, he was going to give it selflessly. Peter had authority from Jesus to heal the sick. He knew what it was like to have God use him to heal others because Jesus had trained him to do this. Peter gave the lame man power in the name of Jesus, But he could not give it unless he had it in his own life. I submit to you that Peter only acquired this power through his service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our journey continues with the healed man appearing in the temple and leads to the arrest of Peter and John. The old adage, no good deed goes unpunished, comes to mind. Has that ever happened to you? It has to me big time. While serving in Berlin, one of my managers came to me because his reputation was being tarnished. He was the target of some vicious gossip, and he approached me for help, what to do. To make matters worse, questions of race, ethnicity, color, religion, you name it, it was all there. I was in the Army, but this whole matter involved civilians, so my rank meant very little. In the Army, there's pretty easy ways to deal with situations like this. But in a civilian environment, it wasn't all that clean cut. I had to take another approach and sought counsel from many, as the good book tells us to do. So I followed the advice from the director of the Equal Employment Opportunity Office. She happened to be a friend of mine because of some other things that had happened in our organization. I sought out my boss and other senior people with more experience in these matters than I. I completed the counseling session and came to a mutually beneficial solution. Sounds pretty good, or so I thought. The next thing I knew, I was in the general's office, the commanding general in Berlin, explaining why I unfairly treated one of the three parties present. By the way, I was not a Christian at the time. So let's see what happens to Peter and John. We pick up the story when Peter addresses the Sanhedrin. Okay, now turn to Acts 4, verses 8 through 14. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, the Sanhedrin, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Your translation may not have that verse. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among the men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. These verses show how Peter and John were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a huge shift in just a few short weeks following the crucifixion of Jesus. At that time, at the crucifixion, the way he was associated with the council, he was trying to sit in the background to observe what would happen to Jesus. Actually, both of them were. A young maid approached Peter and asked him if he was one of Jesus' disciples which in the weakness of his flesh, he denied Christ three times. We all know the story. Now at this moment, he is in the midst, and he is on trial. He is not standing by a fire, trying to stay warm. He's in the fire. And I feel you, brother. (laughs) My Berlin experience, I feel him. So what is happening, though? He is not denying Jesus, but boldly proclaiming to the whole council that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Go, Peter, go. How does one explain such a radical difference? This is the power Jesus talked about when he promised the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit. Back in Luke, verse 12 Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you, in that very hour, what you ought to say. Peter, in his own strength, failed. Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, triumphed. They are not even intimidated, declaring to the council, If we this day are judged for a good deed, tell all Israel. They don't stop, but preach Jesus, not themselves, stating, maybe shouting, If Peter was being true to his stubborn nature, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man has been made whole. Okay, Peter, we got the point, right? He is still not finished and declares, Jesus is not a way to salvation, but the way to salvation. (laughs) Oh, Peter, (laughs) what have you done? (laughs) You've just signed your death warrant. Where's that maiden when you need her? But miraculously, the council releases Peter and John. They obeyed their master's instruction, held their own in the presence of the elite, who in turn recognized something powerful because Peter and John were uneducated and untrained men. They were, however, qualified because they had been with Jesus. Before I move along, we in this sanctuary know people should go to Jesus directly, but they won't. The only way they are going to see him is what shines through us, The Sanhedrin saw something in Peter and John that day. They saw Jesus. They saw the truth. This church serves this community to make the fact that we have been with Jesus as obvious in our lives as it should be in theirs. When you are a servant of the all-powerful God, people will see it. The council saw it and had no choice but to release them. And people did, in fact, see it we move to Acts 5 and verse 15, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. While the text does not specifically say people were healed by Peter's shadow, people thought his shadow would. And they took action based on this belief. Notice the similarity when Jesus walked in the crowd and a lady with the issue of blood wanted just to touch his garment. We don't know for certain if people were actually healed, but we witnessed Peter's reputation change from a mere fisherman to a rock star. Or should I say Simon's star? Simon, Peter, you are my rock, and on my rock I will build my church. Acts of service create a lasting, positive reputation. Kathy, my wife, asked me to share this story because, quite frankly, I simply didn't remember it. The wife of a Christian couple we know worked at Macy's. She was ringing up the purchases for this couple, and somehow she saw their address. We live on a very small cul-de-sac in Alameda, and this couple she was helping was our neighbors. So she asked them if they knew us, and one of our neighbors, the gentleman, Replied, Sure, we know Mike. He's always outside cleaning up everybody's leaves. Now, before anyone crowns me with some honor, the only tree on the street is the one in front of our house. So I feel obligated to remove them no matter where they fall. So, so far we have seen power through the name of Jesus, power through the Holy Spirit, and power of reputation. Let's see what happens through the power of ministry. One Greek word for ministry is liturgia, which means service. So let's see what happens with Peter and John's ministry in Jerusalem. Move now to Acts eight fourteen through 17, and then I'm going to jump ahead to verse 25. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, Peter and John, laid hands on them. And they, the Samaritans, received the Holy Spirit. So when they, Peter and John, had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Remember, verses 6 and 8 in the first chapter of Acts. Now, there's a significant gap from the Sanhedrin appearance I just described. And I would invite you to read those chapters. It takes it probably takes about not 30 minutes to read all of chapters 3 through 8 because there's the story of Stephen, you know, and his martyrdom. So don't pass that by. And also don't pass by what I skipped over here in these verses about Simon who is trying to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit. But that goes beyond what my intent of today's message is. Peter and John had been serving the church in Jerusalem and are sent by the church into Samaria, just as Christ commanded in Acts 1-8, to practice their ministry. Verse 14 of what I read is considered an official reference to Jesus giving Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And as well, the church of Jerusalem officially welcomes the Samaritans, who had previously been excluded from the people of God, into the kingdom of God. Very significant event in church history. But the two most eminent apostles were sent to Samaria, that is, Peter and John. If Peter had been, as some say he was, the prince of the apostles... He would have sent some of them. Or, if he had seen cause, would have gone himself of his own accord. But he was so far removed from worldly designations. Remember, he prepared the room for the Passover feast. He humbled himself when Jesus freed him from his sin. No, Peter submitted to an order of the house and as a servant of the body went where sent. But what a glorious ministry they have. Their ministry imparted the Holy Spirit on believers. And while these Christians received the Holy Spirit in what seems as a subsequent experience to their salvation, this incident, by the way, has caused much controversy, which I won't address this morning. I would just like to offer that the Samaritans were really saved and received the Holy Spirit, but were given special gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit at the laying hands of Peter and John. Whatever happened, we know their ministry is something very special and very powerful. So they hurried back to Jerusalem, right? Isn't that what the scripture says? I don't think so. Their next steps mimic the dutiful acts of servants who minister here at Regeneration. You know, before Mike Mancini or Kathy end their usher duties, they make a sweep of the pews and pick up any coffee cups or unused bulletins so people attending the next service do not have to clean up our mess. Jennifer and Rebecca tend to the candles and remove the communion elements so the next service can prepare the sanctuary in the manner they prefer. You just heard Dave. Dave talked about taking time out of his day for an hour and a half to talk to a neighbor. Or Nate, working with the youth here in the neighborhood. They need help. Katie and her staff miss these great sermons and safeguard our children during the service. Peter and John finished their business as apostles. Returned to Jerusalem, but they returned without passing an opportunity to speak to many villages. In the city of Samaria, they became regular preachers. They testified the word of the Lord and confirmed what all other ministers preached. They did not pretend to bring anything new, remembering their humble roots. On the road... They preached the gospel through many villages, never thinking it was below them as apostles to preach to the small groups, which obviously were not as expansive as the crowds they had likely preached to in the city of Samaria. They served our Jesus as commanded. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think Luke made the case that God's power for Peter and John resulted from their selfless devotion and service to the Lord. Sure, we know there were setbacks throughout their ministry witnessed by Peter's denial and John maintaining his distance from the proceedings leading to the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke reveals in his gospel and in the book of Acts, God's power for others and for oneself is available to those who serve the Lord through simple acts of obedience to his calling. These two disciples obeyed our Lord, performed services illustrated by a menial task of preparing for the Last Supper, and grew a ministry which, healed in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaimed our Lord, achieved rock star, Simon Peter star, reputation, and ministry far exceeding any televangelist's. God's might and power was revealed to them in a very significant and world-changing way. So I would ask you not to settle for less than what God wants to give you. Luke implores that our task is to release the redemptive word of God in Christ, not to make the present condition more bearable. The lame man may have been correct in expecting to receive something from Peter and John, but he received much more from their service and obedience to the risen Lord. My prayer for you this morning is to step out in faith because the Lord is inviting you in his work. Be obedient to the calling of the Lord, to the work he has preordained for you, for this church, for the city of Oakland, and for the ends of the earth. Experience the promise of Christ in Luke 24 that repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. For us, that's Oakland. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. For us, that's Oakland. That's the Bay Area. Until you are endued with power from on high. Please join me in prayer. Father, let us recall the message from your servant Spurgeon in morning and evening. If we would see much of Christ, let us serve him. Tell me who they are that sit often under the banner of his love and drink deep draughts from the cup of communion. And I am sure they will be those who give most, who serve best, and who abide closest to the bleeding heart of their dear Lord. Amen.